This week in KMA Land, Iowa Public Information Board accepts Page County complaint. Female body found in Fremont County. Stanton breaks ground a new child resource center building. Shenandoah School Board sets legislative priorities. And we'll have a preview of this weekend's Shenandoah Shindig Barbecue Championships. I'm Mike Peterson. The Iowa Public Information Board rules that Page County was in violation to the state's open meetings law regarding meeting agendas. At its regular monthly meeting Thursday afternoon, the IPIB approved a complaint filed by former Supervisor Chuck Morris against the current Board of Supervisors, alleging it violated Iowa Code Chapter 21. The complaint concerned the June 14th special meeting held via conference call with the Fremont County Board of Supervisors regarding the Johnson Run drainage ditch. IPIB Executive Director Erica Eckley summarized the complaint. His allegation was that the Board of Supervisors held a joint meeting uh, with the jointly managed drainage district in Page County but failed to post an agenda or notice of the meeting in advance of the meeting. Page County did respond, provided minutes reflecting that the date of that uh, drainage district meeting was in the minutes and reviewing the meeting's minutes. Those minutes did not comply with the requirements under 21.2. Eckley recommended that the board accept Morris's complaint. There's sufficient evidence to establish that there is a violation of open meetings for the failure to post notice of the government meeting as well as the failure to provide minutes that comply with uh, Iowa Code Chapter 21. Um, so it's recommended that the board uh, accept this complaint and work to find an informal resolution in this situation. Morris was not present at the IPIB meeting. While attending the meeting via phone, Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes made no comment, referring to a statement submitted in response to the complaint. In his statement, Holmes says he, quote, sincerely regrets this error occurred and that he was sorry Page County, quote, caused additional work for the board being noncompliant with the Iowa Code's open meetings statute, noting that it's the Board of Supervisors' responsibility to ensure minutes are accurate and that approved minutes are recorded. Holmes questioned how the board can meet those requirements, quote, when we are not given the draft minutes timely in less than seven days to meet code and as it required, and any corrections or amendments we make and approve are currently neither published nor recognized when the auditor chooses to publish and post to the website her draft unofficial minutes, end of quote. Holmes' statement, of course, referred to the continuing spat between the supervisors and County Auditor Melissa Wellhausen's office over the recording and publishing of meeting minutes. In an email response to KMA News' original story, Wellhausen stated that the minutes discussed in the IPIB complaint were Fremont counties and that her office wasn't notified to send out an agenda per the email request the supervisors are supposed to send. Since the meeting wasn't held in Page County, she claims the county had no minutes. Additionally, Wellhausen claims her office wasn't aware of the meeting or in attendance. Copies of the original IPIB complaint and Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes' response are published with a web story at kmaland.com. Workers made a startling discovery in Fremont County this week, the body of a woman in a river. Gerald Simmons is special agent in charge with the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation. Simmons told KMA News workers alerted the Fremont County Sheriff's Office after discovering the body in the Missouri River near Bartlett early Tuesday afternoon. Law enforcement was notified about shortly after noon yesterday by some engineers that work for the Corps of Engineers. They found what they believe to be a female body 
located about four miles south of the Bartlett boat ramp there in Fremont County. The Fremont County Sheriff's Office and the DCI worked with the Corps of Engineers and uh, the DNR to, to get down there. Simmons says the woman's identity and cause of death have yet to be determined. The body was transported to the Iowa office of the state medical examiner. They'll be doing a, uh, an autopsy on her later, but I don't have a date and time on when that's going to happen yet. Simmons says further information won't be released until after the autopsy results. Pottawatomie County officials are hailing the success of a local skiing destination under new management. Meeting in regular session Tuesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors heard an update from Pottawatomie County Conservation to recap the first year of operations for the Mount Crescent Ski Area. The county purchased the property in 2021, which is adjacent to the Hitchcock Nature Center, expanding the county-owned area to over 1,500 acres. In its first 57-day season, Pottawatomie County Conservation Chief Deputy Jeff Franco says the county made a profit of nearly $470,000 after bringing in $1.4 million in revenue compared to over $900,000 in expenses. We wanted to improve our customer services. We had heard that Mount Crescent had been waning in some of those areas. The people were upset with the services, with the product they'd been provided. We wanted to have a customer-focused service uh, industry at Mount Crescent, both indoors and online. We wanted things to be more efficient. We wanted people to be happier. We wanted conditions on our hill to be better. We wanted better snow. We wanted more snow. Despite the pushback from the public against the board for using nearly $2 million in American Rescue Plan Act funding to assist in purchasing the property, Franco says the large turnout and over $200,000 in preseason sales was a testament to the trust the county built with its residents. In acquiring and operating the facility, he noted the creation of 99 seasonal jobs in the county, but he adds that acquiring the property near the Lus Hills was about more than just revitalizing the resort. It was about protecting one of the rarest landforms on this planet and about preserving one of the, the rarest and fastest disappearing ecological communities on North America. So, because it's not just about skiing, it's not just about winter recreation. This is about the whole picture. This is about all four seasons. While saying it's worthy of being included in the National Park Services system, Pottawatomie County Conservation's Chad Gravy says that endeavor wasn't feasible due to 96% of the expansive land being privately owned. Gravy says the Mount Crescent ski area was a natural extension of the Hitchcock Nature Center due to remnant prairies in and around the ski slopes. They're strong all the way along these ridges, all the way around here. Um, and they also spill onto these ski runs, and it's been it's been impressive to me to watch for almost 30 years the resilience of those areas and those native plants coming back on those ski runs. And so I think, from my perspective, the skiing is very compatible with the ecological restoration goals that we have, um, and it's also. As Mark pointed out, it's a unique form of recreation that's available nowhere else in the county and the region. Despite being the second largest county in the state by land, Gravy adds they rank near the bottom half in publicly owned land. Thus, county officials have expressed interest in expanding the amount of county-owned land, particularly in and around the Lus Hills. However, Supervisors Chair Brian Shea says despite the profit made on the ski area, he adds there will always be questions about utilizing ARPA funds in the purchase. Still, he feels they use them the right way. The ARPA funds were the big controversy, what we've done with them and invested them. There was a lot of county officials that tell me they wish they would have done something like we've done with a number of different things because their money's gone and they have nothing. 
and in 30 years, we'll still have what we have. Franco adds the county has also hired a consultant to assess the potential of evolving Mount Crescent into a four-season destination. Conditions were soggy, but spirits were high for a groundbreaking ceremony in Stanton Tuesday morning. Ground was broken on the new Stanton Child Resource Center. Plans call for the $3 million project to be constructed across from the existing facility, a converted restaurant. It's the first occupant of the city's new industrial park near the intersection of Highway 34 and Halland Avenue. Sheila Mainquist is president of the center's board of directors. Mainquist tells KMA News the project grew out of the need for storm safety for the children the facility serves. This effort began when we were really concerned about storm shelter for our children, and so we spent a lot of time trying to figure out the ways that we could put something into our f current facility and then we ended up getting more and more children and it seemed like maybe we needed to expand and put you know a storm shelter in that new facility. Minquist says the demand for child care in the community outgrew the current building. We have a waiting list. We've always had a waiting list and so it's just been something that's happened uh, lately. There's been a lot of awareness of daycare and the need for daycare, especially in Iowa. When completed, the 11,000-square-foot facility will serve an additional 49 children. Stanton Community Development Director Jenna Ramsey says the center will offer numerous amenities for children and families. When you walk in, it'll have its own separate entryway. It'll have an area if children aren't feeling well, they can go sit and separate themselves, you know, with a teacher. The rooms are going to be smaller so they can accommodate smaller class sizes. They'll be spread out a little bit more and they'll have individual rooms. Not an old steakhouse as it currently is. Ramsey credits the center's board members and local residents for seeing the need for a new facility. Started with the daycare board and they had a wonderful vision and we just uh, kept moving forward and applying for grants and fundraising and again it's really made possible by everyone that, that donated and the grants that made it happen. Funding for the project included a million dollars secured by then Iowa Congresswoman Cindy Axney through the House Appropriations Committee in 2021. Though the current timeline calls for the building's completion next year, fundraising continues for landscaping, furnishings, playground equipment, and other needs. Like other school districts, Shenandoah has a wish list of items for state lawmakers next session. By a 4 to nothing vote late Monday afternoon, the Shenandoah School Board approved the district's legislative priorities for the Iowa Association of School Boards for the 2023-24 school year. Topping the list is school funding. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Carrie Nelson says increased supplemental state aid for K-12 public schools is vital considering the Iowa legislature's approval of educational savings accounts for students to attend private schools this past session. At this point, the school choice decision has been made. The accounts are established and families are taking advantage of those and that's available to them. Public schools need funding also. And that's where the focus is going to be across the state. And also fund public schools and fund us well so we can do what needs to be done. Increased programming addressing student mental health issues is another priority. Nelson says awareness of mental health has increased since the COVID-19 shutdown in the spring of 2020. We're investing in it because there are clear needs that are present. We see behaviors that we've not seen prior to covid Kids were isolated for a period of time. Adults were isolated, and that's not healthy. And they need support coming out of that and reacclimating and adjusting. And so we do invest heavily there in hopes that we'll make a difference, not just in the today, but in the long-term overall development. Nelson says school safety is another of the board's priorities. She says the two-day review of the district security procedures conducted last December 
help the district make good decisions on how to use the survey's data. We saw where our gaps were. We've identified some software that may help us. We've identified some procedures that need to be changed. We've um, secured a school resource officer. I believe that should be finalized in the next couple of days, so that will be great. You know, how safe you're only as safe as how you feel comfortable. First, you know, there's that personal comfort level, but most certainly we're doing everything we can from a system perspective to be proactive in our protection of our students and our staff. Increased professional development is the board's fourth and final priority. By now, the smell of cooked meat should be detectable around Shenandoah's Elks Lodge. Yes, it's Shendig Weekend 2023. 38 teams are registered for today's second annual event outside the Elks Lodge on U.S. Highway 59. May Sensen and Stacy Truex co-chair the Forum to Revitalize Shenandoah Shendig Committee. Speaking on KMA's morning show recently, Henson says organizers received a great response to the need for volunteers. Last year we had 110 volunteers between four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We've had, we had 110, and I don't see that number going down with all the commitments that we've gotten from people around town. Um, still looking for a few more help uh, on Thursday or on Friday when the teams come in, but uh, I think we're good as far as volunteers go right now, and, and it's just it's great to see the community actually wrap this around. Henson says the number of registered teams is 10 more than last year, and that's meant a reconfiguration of space to accommodate the additional teams and vendors. We've had to recalculate and remeasure the grounds out at the Elks and make sure that we can fit everything in. Stacy has done a great job as far as uh, finding new vendors. We actually have to account for additional tents and, and vendor space uh, in addition to the teams, too. So it's it's a real neat thing how it's grown. Henson anticipates an intense competition as teams vie for the Grand Championship and other prizes. He says even the Essex and Hamburg Charter High School teams are gearing up for the event. One of our high school teams, they've had four practice cooks with their family, their staff. The faculty over there have gotten to eat a, a little bit of really good barbecue uh, in their practice sessions for the, the event coming up. Now, Truex says one new prize is up for grabs this year, an award for the biggest partiers amongst the teams. It was at a request of some of the barbecue teams last year. So this year we're going to have the biggest partying crew. And this is going to be absolutely hilarious because these teams are nuts. And so oh, we just can't wait to see what they do. Gates open at 11. The first 400 people through the gate receive a sampler platter with sides prepared by 17 of the 35 teams. Covered charges are $10 today, and winners will be announced at 3 this afternoon. Now, KMA News will have full coverage of the Shindig online at kmaland.com, as well as the recap on This Week in KMA Land next week. Two more city positions are filled in Red Oak. Meeting in regular session Monday night, the Red Oak City Council approved the hiring committee recommendations for Donna Davenport as utility billing clerk and Stephanie McGaffey as the accounts payable receivable clerk. Council also set their wages at $19 an hour. Red Oak Mayor Shauna Sylvia says the hirings come after the committee interviewed eight applicants for the positions. Councilwoman Janice Lester says the two individuals should fit well in the office. It was very interesting, and we had great applicants and yeah. stuff. But I think both of these individuals will do a very good job. Particularly, Lester says Davenport will bring a great attitude to manning the front window at City Hall and interacting with residents. The hirings also help provide additional staffing to what Sylvia says has become a big load at City Hall. 
Thus, to allow for training and day-to-day duties, the council also temporarily altered the hours that City Hall is open to the public from 9 a.m. until 4.30 p.m. We have several staff that work, come in at 6 in the morning and don't leave till 8 at night on Friday, then work half or most of Saturday and half of Sunday. And I think that it's because we get so many interruptions during the day. I would like to present the idea of maybe opening an hour later to 9 a.m. It's less busy in the early time than it is over lunch or at the end of the day, Uh, just to give them a little bit more time to do their daily work. In related personnel business, the council also authorized the police department to hire one additional patrolman and the fire department to hire two additional full-time firefighter paramedics all not to exceed 60 days due to upcoming staffing changes. Police Chief Justin Ramey says the additional patrolman would eventually replace an officer leaving for Council Bluffs' fire department. He'll be leaving me in September, September 1st of September. I do have two uh, qualified applicants. I'm down one position now. Uh, I do have two qualified applicants. As soon as he leaves, if we could fill those both right now for the temporary, and then when he uh, essentially when. When that guy leaves in September, I can have a smooth transition and be fully staffed. Meanwhile, for the fire department, Chief John Bruce says two positions were budgeted for the fiscal year 2024 budget. Uh, They've nailed down a lead on one of the positions. Bruce says they also have to find a replacement for Matt Franks, who retires in August after over 20 years with the Red Oak Fire Department. We've got a pretty good line of part-timers if we can convince one to take it. You know, we try really hard to get a paramedic so that we already have that covered. That's a timely school to go through and certification to get. Um, But we also take the time to find something that fits our program. So, um, you know, we're kind of a unique beast. So we're 24-hour shifts and, and all that. So... And Bruce says one applicant is a paramedic instructor at Iowa Western Community College looking for a house in Red Oak and will soon have his critical care paramedic certification. Essex City and school officials are planning a partnership to oversee the community's youth sports program. More discussion on the proposal took place at Wednesday night's Essex School Board meeting. Under the plan, Essex School Superintendent Dr. Mike Wells tells KMA News the district would assist the city on several sports program-related fronts. The city would maintain a youth sports board, the current board, I assume. They would be responsible for fundraising, for funding the coaches, for advertising, getting information out, and reporting to the city. The school's part of the plan would be to hire coaches, to train the coaches. So any coach that would be in youth sports would be required to get a coaching authorization, which the school would pay for. Uh, It would help us align what expectations are for coaches. Well, says having the district's athletic department train the youth coaches is advantageous. A lot of time your youth coaches are not experienced people. So having our varsity coaches and our junior high coaches work with our youth coaches so we can define what we expect kids to know at elementary, junior high, and high school levels as far as skills, offenses, defenses, and it will align our system. Wells says the district will also screen coaches and assist with scheduling and transportation issues. The superintendent says the collaboration would benefit both parties. Essex has always had a good, strong youth program, and we just want to make it better, and we think if we put our efforts together, we can make that happen. So we're we're thankful for the opportunity and look forward to it as we move into our first sport, which will be volleyball. Wells says the Essex City Council is expected to act on the proposal next month. Wells made his comments on KMA's Morning Line program Thursday morning. Now, on that same program, Wells talked about the Hamburg School Board, which earlier this week reviewed a new timeline 
for construction of an 8,000-square-foot fitness center serving both students and local residents, a 250-seat auditorium for both student and community performances, and two additional classrooms to meet the demands for the district's makerspace programming for K-8 students. Wells says the board hopes for better results for the second bid letting next month. At the end of August, we'll have all of our bids in. We'll review them. If they fall within the parameters, uh, we'll accept the bid. And hopefully we can start breaking ground yet this fall. Uh, worst case scenario would be the start of spring, and the project would take slightly over a year. Now, board members rejected the first bids for the $3.4 million project, which Wells called outrageous. The supply chains are part of the reason. I think contractors having to come here because of our location adds expense. And the fact that a lot of our local contractors are too small to bid a large project. Bonding requirements uh, can be difficult for the little guys. So breaking it down this way, we think we're definitely going to get more bids, more local bids and hopefully we can get the project done. Wells' construction work will cause some inconveniences for both students and staff. If it starts this fall, late this fall, one of the problems we'll have is with parking because we'll have to close part of our parking lot uh, for construction and for staging. We are going to pour and uh, develop a small parking lot across the street from the school next to the house the kids built. So we'll get that done before the project starts to help with that issue. Funding for the project includes the $3.1 million bond issue approved by voters in September of last year. Well, plans for a new work-based learning program are moving forward in Red Oak. Meeting at regular session Wednesday evening, the Red Oak School Board heard from work-based learning coordinator Janelle Erickson, who presented an initial draft of the program's manual and an implementation plan moving forward. After an initial planning session in March, Erickson says an administrative group has spent several months in a research planning and creative phase. Erickson says the program's goal is to make a smoother transition for students from high school into the workplace while establishing a talent pipeline with local businesses. So they are going to be constantly immersed in the opportunities to be able to develop in different competency areas that are super important for right now and for their futures. Um, and it is, it's also going to equip them with just tools and resources that are going to help them make more informed decisions about um, their future. So as they transition away from high school. While saying it's ongoing, Erickson says establishing the initial manual was a significant milestone and has taken a lot of effort from everyone involved. It's involved a lot of just trainings and conferences. Um, I visited some schools I've done some Zoom meetings, reached out to a lot of different people, um, experts in the field, uh, people that are doing it, um, people that are at the state level. Erickson says the group initially identified 10 core competencies they hope to develop, including communication, adaptability, leadership, initiative, and self-direction, productivity, perseverance, accountability, creative and critical thinking, and collaboration. She adds they've developed a three-pronged approach to instilling those competencies, including school-based learning, career knowledge, and work-based learning. Atop of courses, Erickson says the career knowledge portion will allow students to elaborate on their interests. Students can pursue projects related to career pathways um, that they're interested in. And so this, this will be kind of embedded into one of the courses where they're immersed in authentic learning projects. Kind of similar to the, what the states put together for the clearinghouse that I was talking about Laura Williams as a project manager for. We envision having our own project, our own clearinghouse here with businesses from our own community 
They want to put projects out there for our kids to work on and so they can collaborate with them. Currently, there are three courses students could take for credit, which would involve interest identification, career exploration, and focus. Ultimately, Erickson says they hope the multi-angle approach creates an agile learning environment for students to learn, practice, and refine employability skills. However, she adds the work is far from over as they plan to make multiple revisions to the manual and establish an advisory committee. Erickson hopes to launch the program in August 2024. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend and enjoy the barbecue. This Week in KMA Land, a presentation of KMA News.